Jesus was anointed at someone's home by a woman. I'm going to do this later. I'm sorry. Expensive, some expensive ointment. I'll do this later. I'm so sorry. That's okay. I'm so sorry. (laughs) 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 Maya's like, what did you do? I'm trying to braid it. And I was trying to tie it around because then it's easier to braid. But then it got stuck in this spiral. And I'm just multi. (laughs) This is why Jesus says not to do this. Yeah, see, this is the Martha Mary situation. the web of my own (laughs) sin. Oh, that's great. Okay. No, I'm not. I haven't even started yet. So, it's already tickled. That is <laughs> the end of my context part. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Faith to Go podcast, your one-stop shop for everything you need to have faith discussions throughout your week with your friends and with your family. My name is David Tremaine, and I'm the Director of Formation here at St. Paul's Cathedral in San Diego. And I'm Maya Little Sonia, and I'm the Youth Minister. I'm Jackie Pippin, and I'm the Digital Resource Curator. And we are back with this week's Faith to Go podcast uh, for the week of April 7th, also known as Lent 5. So we are one... Yeah, we only have two weeks left in Lent. Wow. So we're getting down to it. Um, It has felt so long. Has it felt long for you? No, it's felt short. Really? Yeah, Yeah, I feel like it's been really short. It's been a... Time flies when you're feeling contrite. (laughs) (laughs) I guess. Um, uh, We hope you are having a good time with your uh, Lenten spiritual practice, or a terrible time. Either Mm. one is fine. (laughs) We hope that they're having a terrible time. Yeah. And it and it's not okay. too late to pick one if you haven't picked one yet. Yeah. Or to get a new one. No, I'm kidding. There's still two weeks left. <laughs> so um, if you would like to share with us any stories uh, about your spiritual practice this Lent, we'd love to hear from you. If you're giving up social media, you can still contact us mm-hmm. uh, either through our website or emailing us directly. Uh, at faith to go at stpaulcathedral.org or if you are on social media you can uh, leave a comment on one of our many Instagram posts that we put up each week uh, or you can just message us through Instagram mm-hmm. and we'd love to hear from you uh, and hear any about any of your faith discussions stories or, or comments that you'd like to share uh, but now we're going to get to the gospel and the main part of our podcast where we Hope to um, share some, highlight some different points from the gospel that you can keep in mind as you're having your faith discussions and doing your own faith reflecting this week based on the gospel. And if you are using those Faith to Go resources, uh, you can find those at www.myfaithtogo.org. And like every week, they are based on the lectionary gospel for this Sunday, which is Lent 5, again, in year C. And the gospel is John 12, 1 through 8. So Jackie is going to read that gospel lesson, and then we're each going to take some time to highlight a point for you to take into your faith conversations and reflections. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard and anointed Jesus' feet and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance and the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, 
Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for a day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Okay, so um, I think most people, most of us know about Lazarus, and we know about Mary and Martha. They each hold kind of some significant stories uh, in the Gospel of John. Um, I don't believe Mary and Martha, or I know Lazarus, and I, I don't believe Mary or Martha, unless it's Mary Magdalene that they're talking about, shows up in any of the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, but we have the story of Mary and Martha in another place in John's Gospel about, you know, Martha, like, cooking and cleaning and serving, and Mary, like, sitting at Jesus' feet, and Martha saying, why aren't you telling Mary to serve you and do all this stuff? And Jesus is like, Mary has chosen, you know, the, the better thing of, like, being at my feet and listening and learning. Anyway, that's another story. Uh, we also know about the raising of, of Lazarus, mm-hmm. which happened just one chapter before this. So it's almost happening immediately after Jesus raises Lazarus. So it seems like uh, they're, all, they're clearly all in Bethany, which is not very far from Jerusalem. Uh, because the next place they're going to go after this in chapter 12 is right is into the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, which is the goth- the passion narrative, which we will read next week uh, for the gospel. Um, so we're only in chapter 12. Goth- the gospel of John is 20 chapters long, and Jesus is already going into Jerusalem. So like the, there's a very long um, mm-hmm. Time spent in Jerusalem in John's gospel, and so there Jesus and the disciples are just on the precipice of going into Jerusalem. But they have just what's just happened is that Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead, uh, Mary and Martha's brother, <coughs> and the Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, and Jesus are all there eating together just after the very recently after this has happened. So it says six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus who had been raised from the dead, there they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. And then Mary, you know, anoints Jesus' feet. So the setting is that this family is together with Jesus. The family made up of people who have just, like, witnessed this amazing resurrection of, of Lazarus and mm-hmm. are kind of celebrating the fact that Lazarus is alive again. Uh, and, then, and then the story unfolds from there. And then right after that, uh, they go into Jerusalem. So that's the context for the story. The only other thing to know is that this is one of the few stories that's paralleled throughout all four of the Gospels. Right. This is the only one where the the woman that um, that uses the the um, either ointment or perfume, depending on which Gospel it is, and anointing either Jesus's feet or head and wiping it with her hair, is identified as Mary. In the other ones, it all says a sinful woman, or just an, kind of an unnamed woman. Um, but they all share some semblance of a, a woman coming with expensive ointment or perfume, and sometimes crying and wiping Jesus' feet with her tears and her hair and anointing his feet or his head. Well, my point is actually about Mary in this passage. Uh, and mine is about love languages. 
Uh, so love languages became big when Gary Chapman wrote a book about them in 1995. But it outlines five ways that people can express their love to other people. Uh, and it, the five are gifts, quality time, words of affirmation, acts of service, and physical touch. And he talks about how people have a primary and a secondary love language. And, and those are the things that we use to communicate our love to other people. Um, but for other people, they could be different. And so this notion here that Mary's love language really seems to be like an act of service um, and, and that physical touch. However, that, that might not be Jesus's or clearly it makes Lazarus uncomfortable. And so that notion of being aware of ourselves and what feeds us and what gives us love and what helps us show love, but knowing in every relationship that those are going to be unique. You know, my relationship with my husband, he hates gifts. He doesn't understand them. And gifts are my love language. Mm. And so figuring out how, how that works together. Um, whereas with friendships, friends that love to receive gifts, you know, that is something that, that can really be expounded upon. And so that notion of that we all speak in these different languages of love and how do we in our relationships acknowledge other people's love languages and acknowledge ours and honor that mm-hmm. um, as we show each other the love of Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and because of <clears throat> because of the context of the story, it seems pretty clear that this is like a they are all together and having and putting on this dinner and eating together out of gratitude for Jesus and gratitude for Lazarus and his life. And so this is the way that Mary is is showing her gratitude and love for Jesus, for what Jesus has done for her and for her family. And right. so it's very Yeah, she and G, and I think it's cool thinking about the love languages because it's also about Jesus receiving the gratitude and the love. You know, he doesn't yeah. Judas is uncomfortable. You know, the gospel writer is trying to put it on Judas saying, Well, he just wanted to sell the money and steal it. Um right. but Judas is clearly uncomfortable with the display that is going on for one reason or another. Jesus is very comfortable with it. And so I think there's, it's like, again, this amazing example, not only from Mary of how to give so humbly and, and selflessly in gratitude and love, but also the way of receiving love humbly and selflessly from that Jesus shows and like and kind of and not trying to control how Mary shows her love and not trying to tell her how she can and cannot like Judas wants to but by saying this you know this is how she's going to do it and I will be here to receive it and meet her exactly where she is so right. i think that's really cool and too. and i think that that's an important point also when we are feeling down and when we are feeling sad and when we are feeling unworthy of god's love mm-hmm. to remember that you know like God is so clearly showing us his love in, in devotion to us and in this gift of life and in the afterlife. And so how do we be open also to that love language and to that love, that mm-hmm. unconditional love when we, when it's on us that we are feeling unworthy or down mm-hmm. um, and to be open to that. Um, <clears throat> my, the point I wanted to highlight is, 
is also about the the anointing and like and the actions of Mary, and also kind of tie also also I want to talk about the the like the second to last sentence uh, Jesus's response to Judas because we're really at an the story happens at such a, a unique and interesting inflection point in the gospel because it's really this shift from. Jesus outside of Jerusalem to Jesus inside of Jerusalem. And every this is kind of the point at which things really start everything is that Jesus's death is really be, going to begin to be emphasized as part of his like an essential part of his ministry in the world and an eventual resurrection. And Jesus will from this point on start saying, you know, all those I am statements and revealing kind of this more cosmic um cosmic identity that that he wants to show to the world and to his disciples of some sort of like transcendence that's not just this single person that he is kind of embodying what we call the christ so that the the name jesus christ as many of you know was not jesus's name christ is a greek word that means anointed one and this is other than the anointing when he is already dead, this is the first time, this is the only time in the Gospels when Jesus is anointed. Mm. And so it's almost, it, it has, I, I just, I love this idea that like Mary is the one, maybe Mary is the one that makes Jesus the Christ. That Mary anoints Jesus and therefore Jesus is the anointed one. And it has, and and I think we th- we think about it more like, the chosen one, the the Messiah, that like Jesus is anointed by God to go do these things. But I think there's something really powerful in Mary, in this this character of Mary as being the one that is anointing Jesus. Maybe as well, but maybe that this idea that like Jesus receives his Christhood, his Christship from Mary, who in the other parallels to this story is described as a woman who is a sinner. So it's almost like Jesus receives his Christship, his his kind of cosmic um, personhood, his his cosmic character, um, this thing that he embodies that is like bigger than time and space from the sinner that Jesus came for our healing, and that is and 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 our like pain and suffering is the is like the mechanism through which Jesus receives his vocation. Mm-hmm. And and I think it kind of ties I think I think we get a sense of that in this like in between liminal space in the way that he responds to Judas when he brings us when he brings up the idea of of how this should have been sold uh, and given to the poor. The way what he says before he says that last sentence about the poor he says Leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. And, and it seems like uh, in the Greek, actually, that, that phrase, she bought it, is not in there. That's kind of a translator's uh, discretion to put in there to make the sentence make more sense. But the actual Greek probably says, Jesus said, leave her alone so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. Which makes it seem like she still has some of the oil left over. So like she bought this big 300 
dollar or denarii pound of uh, costly perfume and and use some of it to anoint Jesus's feet, but that there's still some left over that she is saving to anoint his body after he's dead. So the same oil that will, has been used to anoint him when he's alive will anoint him when he's dead, and then kind of, you know, then he will be resurrected. So it's like there's there's this tie in. Jesus is kind of like breaking down the barriers between life and death, like the lines between these two things that we think are polar opposites start to get blurred. And it's not really clear anymore where one begins and one ends, especially in the resurrected Jesus, especially after Jesus just brought Lazarus back from the dead. Right. You know, so we're in this liminal space where what we're seeing is the, the anointedness of Jesus, his Christhood embodied in our sins and our, our potential healing through our sins and in the fact that that Christhood looks like the breaking down of the line between life and death, and that there isn't so much a distinction between the two, but that they are kind of like woven together. So I also wanted to build off of the last line that David had mentioned. Um, well, I don't know. Did you mention it? That you no, I didn't read that, that you didn't read, but you mentioned it. Mm-hmm. Um, was verse eight. When he says, after Judas um, kind of denounces Mary for buying the stuff and says, "We, we um, let's see, it could, why wasn't it sold uh, for 300 denarii and not the money given to the poor? And Jesus says, leave her alone. She brought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. So... I think Jesus is pushing back against Lazarus's kind of like, maybe like aside from the little side note where it says, well, I mean, not Lazarus, Judas. It's, oh, Judas didn't actually care about the poor. Like aside from that, I think Jesus is pushing against his urgency of this needs to happen. This should have happened. And this is, this is unfit. It should have happened this way. Um, It could have happened this way. We would have done it this way. Um, and Jesus pushing up against that and, and is, and our preconceived notions of like, kind of shoulda, woulda, coulda, like going in the past, thinking about the past, but also the future and spending just too much space there and not in the moment. And he says, you know, you'll always have the poor, like you can always do that. I mean, not always, but this isn't the last time that money will flow into the purse and we can feed the poor. This is the, although this is what one of the last times that you will have me to physically do this with. And I think he's taught, I think it's very liturgically appropriate for Lent um, talking about like slowing down and just being mindful of where we are right now. I think he's reminding us that um, wherever we are, whatever we're thinking about, what we either have to do or what we should have done um, or how we could have done something better or differently or what we can do to optimize our future or whatever. Um, I think he's reminding us that that is not as the, the energy exerted in doing all of that is not nearly as valuable as being right where you are in that very moment. And that it's a precious moment wherever you are. Um, and just to be intentional of where you are and what is happening and that, you can't really control anything other than where you're at right now. And actually you don't have control period, but um, I think 
he's pushing up against that. And then, I don't know, I always think, I don't know, I feel like I read this somewhere or I might have thought of it, but I'm pretty sure I read it. Maybe I saw it on Jeopardy. I don't know. But I think that now is our most kind of precious resource because, I mean, you have, like, a wealth of yesterday, Mm. you know, Mm -hmm. in the past. You have plenty, like, if we think of it as, like, reservoirs, Mm -hmm. you know, you have a giant reservoir of past to draw your water upon. Um, You don't know how much of future you have, but you can... I mean, there's there might be a ton, there might be not a lot, but the one that you that is fleeting every moment and constantly draining into the past reservoir is the present. Mm-hmm. Like there's not a, like you, the present is your most precious resource, mm-hmm. and so I feel like he is telling Judas. I think he's telling him that. So yeah, I also it seems like he's also emphasizing. <clears throat> In terms of in terms of like the nowness and being present, he's also saying that one of the ways, one of the most valuable resources and ways to be present is to be in relation in relationship. That we mm-hmm. can't be in relationship with people in the past or in the future, but only right now. We can only be in relationship right now, and like the infinite value of relationship, because it's not clearly based on the rest of the gospels and all the other parts of the gospel. We can't say that Jesus is saying this because he doesn't care about the poor. Right. You know, but I think what he is doing is emphasizing the power of relationship as a priority over like, like, um, like relationship as a resource is beyond just like physical resources. Mm -hmm. There is a lot of, of value and very important value in providing people with like the basic essentials like food and clothing and shelter and all those things. But when we stop there, then we're not really doing what Jesus calls us to do in the gospel, which is to be in community and relationship and solidarity with one another. Right. So that if we think that serving the poor and as Judas describes it is about selling things and giving them the money, giving people money, that is one important part of, of people sustaining life. Right. And but I'm sure Jesus also, would be pleased with that. Yeah, like. But if we're not also sustaining a relationship, then what are we doing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So we've got three points. Um, point number one was from Jackie, and it was about those love languages and being able to hold space to both give and receive love authentically and humbly uh, and being present in doing so. Number two was mine, and it was about the anointing of Jesus and and the idea of the Christ, the anointed one, um, and Mary um, being the one that anoints Jesus and the way that this Christ, this cosmic Christ, breaks down the barriers of life and death. And then the third was from Maya, and it was about that importance and emphasis that Jesus is putting on being present and not what could have happened and not what should happen next, but about what is happening now and the value of being in relationship uh, and in that infinite eternal now. So uh, having heard that conversation, Jackie is going to read the gospel one more time and see if you hear anything new or different this time through. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. 
There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume, but Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, the one whom was about to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for three hundred denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, and you do not always have me. All right. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in this week. We'll be back in your feed next week, which will be Palm Sunday. That's Ooh. crazy. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Um, so we are getting towards the end of Lent. We hope you're having a good Lenten season. Uh, make sure to go check out all those Faith to Go resources at www.myfaithtogo.org. Follow us on Instagram at faith to go as long as you're on social media. But, you know, just remember for after Lent if you are. And um, make sure to rate and review this podcast and send us any questions or comments or stories from your week of faith discussion or your Lenten practice. And we'd love to uh, discuss them on the show next week.